Welcome to this week's episode of the Holding the Ladder in Sport and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rice. This week's guest is Dr. Maggie Tiemann. Maggie is the founder of Mindsets Matters, a mental performance coaching consultancy based in Webster, New York. She is a longtime NCAA women's basketball referee, a FIBA referee, a professor, a nutrition specialist, and certified strength and conditioning coach. She had a wonderful career as a Division I softball player at the University of Vermont and also taught in high schools in Connecticut for 14 years, coaching field hockey, basketball, and softball, and teaching physical and health education. She has been a two-time Connecticut Coach of the Year, a member of the Northeast Agenda Women's Hall of Fame, and a 2019 inductee into the Connecticut Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. I hope you enjoy the next few minutes as we get a chance to learn more about what Maggie does and the way she gets a chance to hold the ladder for others. Welcome everyone to, to this week's episode of the Holding a Ladder and Leadership Sport and Leadership podcast. My name is Tim Rice and I'm your host. And this week's guest is Dr. Maggie Tiemann. Maggie, welcome to our program and we're all looking forward to learning more about you and kind of your journey uh, as you've uh, climbed the ladder through the sport industry. Uh, welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me, Tim. It's uh, an honor to be a part of this incredible podcast endeavor of yours. Well, thanks. Uh, we have, um, Maggie and I uh, have a connection. It seems like, uh, you know, one of the things, and we talk a lot about this in the in the podcast when I do the interviews about networking. Um, Maggie is a former student of mine. She uh, earned her PsyD in sport and former psychology at um, University of the Rockies, which is now Arizona Global, and uh, arguably really one of the best students we've ever had in the program. Uh, you know, she won a dissertation of the year uh, during her graduation year. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Maggie. Well, if anybody could possibly see me right now, which they can't, thank goodness, my cheeks are as rosy as they could possibly be for those uh, wonderful compliments. So speaking of holding the ladder, could not have done any of those things at the University of the Rockies uh, without you, Dr. Tim. So um, the many phone calls and many emails that allowed me to settle down and, and maybe perhaps get a little uh, less zealous for doing whatever it was that I was doing. So your patience was greatly appreciated. Um, so the number one person who held the ladder for those four years would be, ding, 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 you. <laughs> well, you're kind to say that. And, you know, so where are you, where are you uh, calling from today? Uh, so interestingly enough, I am here in Tampa, Florida. Um, as we'll get to, to talk about a little bit later, I referee Division One college basketball. Uh, so in the wintertime, uh, when my regular home in Rochester, New York with my husband, Mike, is a less conducive to flying in and out of from around the country with snow, sleet, freezing rain. Uh, I have Tampa, Florida be my home for the winter months. So it's uh, a beautiful 65 degrees and, and sunny here today. So that's where I'm calling in from. Okay. And so uh, tell, uh, what's your current position? Kind of what, what do you do? You, you wear a lot of hats. Oh, yes. Two, two pretty big hats at this particular moment in time. 
Uh, I am a Division I women's basketball referee. I referee for 13 Division I conferences around the country, uh, including the SEC, the Big Ten, Big 12, ACC, Big East, American, so on and so forth. Uh, and then I also have my own psychology business uh, called Mindset Matters, of which I work with businesses, organizations, teams, uh, and then individuals, um, individual student athletes, individual coaches, um, and then individual referees and working with them to kind of navigate the pathways of life, whether it be on and off the court, in and out of the office, uh, or current just with their life in general, with their spouse or significant other, or important people in their lives, learning how to connect better with them to create more meaningful relationships. Wow. So, so what led you to want to go in that direction? Obviously, you got a doctor of psychology degree in sport and form psychology, but I mean, you know, what made you want to go the independent consulting route and to start in your own business? So going back to the original question when you were asking me that I passed over by accident uh, about a little bit about myself. Uh, growing up in a, a real small town in Northwest Connecticut, uh, played three sports when I was in high school, went on to play Division I softball. And then as we all kind of thought, we had a particular path in life. And that was for me to teach and to coach. And given the fact that one of the other women in my life, other than my mom, uh, was my coach. And she coached me for all 12 seasons in high school. Uh, really ended up being my role model and my leader, so to speak, in those influential years of my life. That was the path that I was going to follow. I was going to be a teacher like her and I was going to coach like her. Um, so I did that for 14 years uh, in another town in Connecticut and just realized certainly one of the best times of my life, but also realized that there was more to teaching and coaching than just physical skills. I taught phys ed and health. Um, so and then I also coached field hockey, basketball, and softball while I was there and realized, and this gets to your question about how I went down the psychology route, that I would have teams throughout my, my tenure of coaching that we'd have four or five or six Division I field hockey players that would go off and get scholarships, and yet we'd lose in the first round of the state tournament. And then there was other years that had kids that were, for lack of a better term, just out there to have a good time. And we'd end up going 19 and 0 and winning a state title. So I was, as I normally did, over dissecting many things, figured that there had to be something that I was missing. And given the fact that I was a gymnast before I became a traditional team sport athlete, I realized that the mental preparation and the visualization and the self talk, all the things that I was just taught as a young gymnast but didn't quite know what they were. I applied them to my coaching with team sports and those two things just marry themselves together. And I thought to myself, you know what, what better of the next endeavor to do than, than get a doctorate in sport performance psychology. You brought up gymnastics and obviously it would, I would assume that you got a pretty early start in gymnastics. Was that one of the first sports you ever competed in? It was. Uh, and I can thank my mom. Uh, she started me in the wonderful arena of ballet, uh, but quickly realized that my energy level and rambunctiousness was not fit for that style. So quickly transitioned uh, to gymnastics uh, at the age of three, and I competed all the way up to uh, an elite level gymnast until I was 13. Um, so literally stopped in the spring 
of my eighth grade year and then started playing team sports in the fall of my freshman year. So when you think about your start to sports, obviously you brought up your mom, such a sweet person she is. It was great to meet her at your graduation. And she obviously, some, well, she, she's one of those uh, ladder holders, you know, she, she's someone who uh, supported you as your dad did too. And Mike as well. But yeah, uh, so when you think about your start, she obviously gave you that, that, that boost to get started and she held the ladder for you, but who else may have, who else held the ladder for you when you were just climbing the ranks? So in preparing for thinking about that answer, it's almost like my life has been segmented in terms of the different people at the different stages, as I'm sure many of the people that you speak to are. Um, so my coach in high school, Carissa Niehoff, who's now the um, executive director of the National Federation of High Schools. Um, so she was my teacher and my coach and actually afforded me the opportunity to get my first teaching job. She had shared that this particular school that she was the vice principal at the middle school, their high school was looking for a phys ed teacher. Um, so right from the start, she continued um, to help me uh, get opportunities. Uh, but she was my coach for all 12 seasons, as I shared with three sports. And no single person has had more of an impact on my life, other than my mom, of course, um, than Carissa did throughout my high school years. Um, so that for sure was instrumental. Uh, I ended up teaching. She was getting her doctorate in educational leadership. That's where I first got the thought of having a doctorate was because she was doing it. Um, so going back to teaching and coaching, she was my teacher and coach. So I wanted to be her. Um, so it just continued on from there. So that segment of my life was, was definitely influenced significantly by her and, and just the fact, the support and the dedication, those were the two pieces that regardless of the stage of my life, there's been that person or those people that have always believed in me and provided me, as you say, just that, that boost to be able to weather some of the, the bad storms. One thing that I wanted to kind of bring up, it's a, it's more of a question too, but you know, when you think about your climb up the ladder, it's been varied, right? I mean, you know, you were an athlete in college, obviously an athlete uh, all the way back to your gymnast days and then climbing the ladder from there. And then you coached and taught and then you got into affiliating a very difficult profession um i i would assume can you tell me a little bit about your the impetus for going that direction absolutely so dick coleman the first of my holdings of the ladder for refereeing uh was a gentleman who had refereed me when i was in high school and i was coaching acting like a crazed lunatic i'm sure on the sideline um and he was like you know have you ever thought about refereeing instead of coaching and i looked at him with about six heads and I was like are you kidding me never in my wildest dreams would I think about running up and down a court and being yelled at by someone and he's like well you know it's a great profession to be able to travel and uh, women in this particular women's basketball profession it would be a great thing perhaps maybe down the road if you decide you don't want to coach and it came to the time where I was coaching field hockey and then moving right into basketball 
I wasn't sure that I was providing and giving a hundred percent just for the sheer lack of energy and hours in a day. So I called Dick and I said, what does it mean to be a referee? So I started officiating high school basketball and had once again in that segment of my life, the pod of, of gentlemen uh, and one lady, her name was Cindy Adamski, who refereed probably about 70, seventh and eighth grade basketball games with me when I was a hot mess. But she, uh, she definitely was patient with my inexperience and inability to understand refereeing. Uh, so those, those four or five gentlemen and, and lady were my ladder during that time and fielding the questions and the scenarios and the post-game tiers of making decisions that were game-changing. Um, so that particular infancy of my officiating career in high school uh, was definitely dedicated to IABO board number seven in Northwest Connecticut. How about that? I do believe the thing that I enjoy about the podcast and interviewing so many great seasoned sport veterans is listening to the stories that every one of you share. And uh, those folks listening out there, uh, hopefully you're gaining a lot from all the podcast. Uh, please let us know uh, what you think and get a chance. But the one thing about uh, your story that keeps that is something that resonates with me, of course, because I had my own people in my life that were like the folks you just mentioned that held the ladder for you to climb to greater heights than you ever thought possible. Um, you know, I, I think that that is one of the things I always tell people that one of the biggest challenges in this life is getting in our own way. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I certainly say it to a lot of my students and uh, Maggie will attest, I'm a pretty tough uh, chair, um, but firm, but fair. But I think that being able to uh, make a difference through caring is such a critical element. I mean, it's one thing for those people that were mentors for you that held the ladder for you to help you get from point A to point B and so on. But I mean, did you notice back in those days, the caring aspect from all of them? It's a really great question that I'm not embarrassed to answer the fact that at the time it was a matter of doing that, getting to point A to point B, starting off um, as being a, an introductory referee well, how are we going to get you to work a state championship? So I saw it as you're giving me information and knowledge and experience and feedback so that I can get from point A to point B. But in reality, now that I look back at it, after a decade of doing it, the only reason I was able to achieve some of those milestones, whether it be a, a state championship in high school or a regional in the NCAAs, it's because I had people that were caring about me as a person and they really wanted to make me feel like I could do it and that side of person versus task is not only what drives my business that I do now for psychology but also who I truly am as a referee to this day I've I've really seen a shift in my own task oriented mindset much more towards caring about the individual first and being that support system for them so that they then can achieve that goal or that task. Correct. And, you know, a quick example, um, 
recently Alabama won the national championship rather convincingly in football back in January. And um, one of the things that I noticed throughout the entire uh, ramp up to the game against Ohio State was how Nick Saban and all the players talked about the connectiveness and the togetherness. And one of the things that I found was so neat, and I actually even put it on Facebook, I put Landon Dickerson in the game, put Landon Dickerson in the game, you know, the center who got hurt. And he dressed out for the ball game. He had you know, blown his knee out, I believe, in the SEC final. And, um, uh, and, and or actually rather, it was in the Notre Dame game and in the semifinal and he was given a chance to go in for the final two snaps of the ball game of course they were kneel downs but the respect that Nick Saban showed him to say hey go in there and you know not only that but also um what Landon Dickerson did as everybody was walking off the field he grabbed Nick Saban bear hugged him and picked him up and carried him off the field and I, I said, you know, that's going to be, and again, I'm an Alabama native. Um, that's going to be one of those things that Tide fans will probably have pictures of and paintings in their living rooms. But I think that when it comes down to it, everybody talks about Nick Saban, the, the tough, hard-nosed guy who's all about winning. But really, I, I think people saw this year that he was more about Develop, I mean, and he's been about developing relationships. I think that he gets a, a bad rap, but what, what are your thoughts on, on that? What I was just talking about. So when, as you were, as you were talking, I connected with that story and another one popped into my head that I, people will find funny now that they've had a little bit knowledge about me as a, a gymnast and then as an athlete and then the referee. So a gymnast does thousands of routines every day. So there is no connection, no emotion, no people, anything revolving around that is that you do your repetitions and you get better. Refereeing, it's black and white. Supposedly, it's just supposed to be a right call or a wrong call, which is a totally different podcast in itself. Um, so as in when I was coaching, when I first started, I was in my very first semester of my program with you guys. And uh, I was all about drilling. I was all about skills. We were going to practice this. Everything was down to the minute in my practice plan. Very similar to any kind of uh, coach that you could imagine. So I came out and I said, you know what, if I'm going to get a degree and really buy into the mental aspect of sport, I need to start doing some of this. So I had the kids put their sticks away. This was field hockey. So I had to put their sticks down on the ground and brought them up into four different groups. And we were going to do a renaming of our team game. And they looked at me like I had been possessed by some other person. Like, what do you mean? We're not going to go through our drills. We're not going to do corners. We're not going to do. <laughs> I said, nope. I said, we are going to rename our field hockey team. And the whole idea was to give some internal ownership to them. Not that just they were the blank, blank, blank. So wow. we do the whole drill. We do four teams. They come up 20 minutes later. They got their names. Everybody's got a spokesperson. They come up. We come up with this. And Tim, I can't tell you what the name was right now. But I remember that it was like a 13 word. It wasn't like just the Panthers. Oh, no, we were the something, something, somethings. So the story gets better. So they have a great time with it. 
we go on. And quite frankly, I enjoyed every moment of it. This is the year that we go to the state tournament. We're in the state championships with a team that had beaten us three consecutive times handily. Like you talk about Bama's 52 to whatever decisive win. We probably got the ball over half field three times in the three games that we've played against this one team. We go out, we're playing a, a good game. It's actually tied at halftime. At the end of the halftime discussion, my captain says, may I say something, coach? Absolutely. Floor's yours. She says, we don't forget that we are the, and she rattles off this 13 word, and I still get chills telling this story. There wasn't anything that I could have said during that halftime that would have motivated them any more than my 17-year-old girl saying that because it was playing more for the girl next to her than it was about her and decisively won three to one. They never got the ball in the last eight minutes of the game. We literally played fun keep away with them. Wow. So it just shows you that it's about ownership, relationships, caring about your teammates versus the actual physical skills. We had the skills, but we lacked the other part in years before. Yeah, uh, why? Well, uh, one thing that you brought up there, and I elaborate on, elaborate on real quickly. You know, when I interviewed jo uh, former Duke women's basketball coach Joanne McCauley, she talked about how her players picked her up when she was uh, the head coach at Maine and struggling with uh, bipolar disorder, and um, and she she basically when she said that during the interview that we had on the podcast. You know, you don't, a lot of times you don't hear, uh, I think it probably happens a lot more than we think, but you don't hear about how our players hold the ladder for us to get us to a place where we can all be successful and help us as head coach be taken uh, with, you know, given more respect, whatever it might be. And they, your player there held the ladder for all of your team and you. And I think that that's, uh, that's a, such a powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now, uh, you know, you wear a lot of hats, as I said earlier, but what, so you probably have a lot of different challenges when it comes to all different things you do, whether it's teaching online or whether it's doing your consulting business or whether you're doing your officiating. What's the biggest challenges, you know, or what are the biggest challenges you face every day in your job? Oh, I definitely would say making meaningful connections with the people that day that I'm working with. Uh, being a referee, it's a different crew every night, uh, certainly two different teams every night. Um, so figuring out how to connect with those people um, so that not only from a crew standpoint of refereeing, that we can have optimal performance within the three of us for the betterment of the coaches and student athletes, but then also connecting with coaches. And I say connecting with them because you know what referee has a certain stigma to it, that it's like an us against them kind of thing. Like we're out there to get somebody. Right. And I truly, and maybe I just have rose colored glasses, but it's a triad of a coach and a referee working for the betterment of a student athlete without their coach, without a referee, they can't excel on the playing court or the field or in the pool. We have to have those play pieces. And 
as much as no one likes a whistle to be blown, rest assured, I don't like to blow it any more than you like to hear it. <laughs> the, the best game of my life is when I don't have to put air in a whistle and I can just run up and down and watch the hours and hours of practice time benefiting both teams win or lose. Um, so making those connections with partners and student athletes and coaches, I find it to be an honor to be able to do every day. And then also being able to just learn about people and it, and expand my knowledge of human behavior. Do you find that, uh, the very best officials in your industry, um, in division one women's basketball officiating, uh, are they just incredible communicators or they all have their own style? I mean, kind of elaborate on that if you don't mind. Oh gosh. You know, there's never, and it's a, it's a question that many of the younger referees that I work with will ask too, because if they can figure out how to do it, the quote it, well, then they can see that I can get to the next level. Uh, well, speaking from experiences, somebody else's it doesn't necessarily fit you as a person. So there's yeah. so many successful referees um, that I've worked with and I continue to work with that each have their own style. And I do think a key to success is adjusting your personal style to fit the environment of which you're working in. And we often find times as humans, the sentence of, well, this is just me, I'm not gonna change. And I don't disagree with that statement uh, with the word change, but I do think that if we wanna be successful, we're gonna shift. We're gonna shift ourselves from being one way into maybe perhaps being in a different way to fit the environment that we're in. And that's where the, the knowledge and, and things that I've, I've been doing with my business is really the foundation of the success because whether it's sports or business or relationships, it is about figuring out how to shift ourselves and adjust our own style to then meld with the person that we're trying to work with. Well, it's an excellent uh, answer to that. And um, that is one of the challenges for anyone that's listening, that's just getting started in the industry. You know, uh, Maggie makes a great point that, you know, you're not going to be in your position like you are forever. Uh, you're going to shift. Heavens knows I've made lots of shifts over the last 10 or 15 years. I, I never would have thought, you know, in 1993, when I graduated college, I, I'd be leading a doctor psychology program with 500 students and 50 faculty members. So earlier you talked a little bit about how you drilled as a coach, um, as a head coach, and how you changed that a little bit through your career. Um, one question I have, you know, obviously when you're drilling, you're drilling for skill. Um, what skills do you think are cons considered essential for the sport professional who wants to climb the ladder? Uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to say the understanding of human behavior, which sounds really hard, <laughs> but I truly believe that understanding who someone is and what their perspective is, and then matching that or mirroring that with what your own personal perspective is and how you see the world, it's going to unlock 
every piece, whether it's task drill oriented or connection human feeling oriented. And I think I can probably, I'll use myself as an example because I'm like a ridiculous work in progress given the fact that my style of person is outgoing and very task oriented. So the last thing that I think about Tim is how your day is going. And 70% of the world processes how is your day going before the task? So here I am just going about my merry business, but I'm almost offending 70% of the world because I didn't ask them how their Christmas was or how their Hanukkah was or how their new year was. So I have to understand the limits and the faults that I have so that I can then adjust them and say, hey, Maggie, why don't you ask somebody how they're doing first before you jump into what are we going to do on the floor tonight? How are we going to work together? Um, so that skill of understanding how humans process the world um, is something that not only is the foundation of my own psychology business, but also a key principle to who I am to this day. Wow. So, yeah, I, and I, trust can be, is built through relationship. And that's, you know, folks that listen to the podcast are probably gonna go, man, how many times am I going to hear relationship building in these podcast interviews? But it's true. And now every personality is different, as you know very well from your own dissertation study. Um, and we have to be able to understand where everyone's coming from. And, you know, there are some people that want to tell you about their Christmas. Some of them don't want to say anything. They just wanted to go do the job. And it really is getting to a point where you understand what everyone's needs are, right? Right. I, uh, when you were just saying that, the, the ladder of rapport, when you talk about ladders and holding ladders, like that just pops right into my head. I mean, there's people that need to trust you first. And then there's people that need to like you first. So if I'm trying to get you to trust me first, but you're a people-oriented individual, I'm wasting some valuable time getting to know you. Um, so every there's a that ladder is different for everybody, but yet it's not because there really is certain segments of human behavior that can be applied to all of us, even though we are unique. Exactly. And when you think about your relationship building, it kind of uh, bleeds into the next question regarding networking. Um, through the years, you know, you've met a lot of people. You talked about your former coach in, in school who's now over the, NA, the National Federation of High Schools. Uh, what, how do you handle networking now? How have you handled it as you've climbed? Uh, certainly, I've gotten a, a, a better understanding of it with my own business. Um, so when people ask me to, to work with um, perhaps their organization or their firm or their team, um, just being the, the person that I am trying to, to make their lives better somehow, like they're the heroes in their story. I'm simply a guide that's going to help them uncover some things. So by working with each of those groups, for example, let's just say I have five different groups I work with in Rochester. Well, 
doing a good job and, and making sure that they feel better and they feel whole and they've learned something and they've created better connections. They've learned more about themselves. They've got better performance. That will just transcend into perhaps maybe someone talking to somebody else that's going through a similar struggle. Hey, you know what? I was working with this particular woman and why don't you give her a call? Um, so that's kind of how that networking piece has worked for me thus far. Um, because I, I came from a world of teaching and coaching where you didn't really have to network. It was, you were a teacher, you were a coach, you did your job at a certain school and you actually took on their identity of that school. Um, so recognizing the importance of connections and relationships, cause you never know who knows someone else. Correct. And when you think about high school athletics, for instance, interscholastic uh, athletics, many coaches and teachers are going to stay in their same school for their entire career. But there are some that obviously jump around and go from school to school to school. I, probably, I, I, I suppose, less in, at the interscholastic level and at the intercollegiate level. Um, and I know for me, it's always been a case of trying to value provide value for others. And, you know, I, I always find that if I can do that, whatever I get in return is not the point. Uh, the point is trying to help somebody become the best they can be. And um, now some, obviously, uh, I'm fortunate because in my, my uh, quote unquote real job, the society program director at, at Arizona Global, I, I uh, have a, a good job and, and have a nice, uh, uh, thing there. But, you know, I, I find that I want to continue to give back and give back. What What's something that you do to give back? And I'm kind of jumping ahead to one of the final questions, but how, how do you hold the ladder for others? So you were just talking about the positions that you're holding and there's such a unique piece about teaching and coaching. And, and I'm even going to throw refereeing in here. It goes back to that triad piece because we as coaches and teachers and referees adding value to other people's lives, we really actually don't know the impact of what we're doing to someone or with someone until they may come back to us a few years later and say, here's the impact that you had on me, or you have a conversation with them. Um, so I remember Carissa was actually the one that taught me this when I was in high school. And she shared with me, she said, the amount of feedback that you're going to give as a coach and a teacher you may say the same thing 30 times, but on the 30th time, it best be with the same enthusiasm and value that you said it the first time, because it is the first time that that kid is hearing it. And wow. we talked about holding the ladder for others, whether it's uh, mentoring younger referees um, or working with any of the individuals that I work with. Um, I'm lucky enough to have uh, a lot of my, my friends or my clients, as I like to call them, as being young women um, that are young student athletes, whether they're in high school or college. And that connection of a female role model like Carissa was to me, each and every time that I work with one of these young people, I don't know what word or what phrase they're going to hang on to. But I darn well know that when I share it with them, it's got to be with the passion and the interest for them to gain value to it so that someday down the road, I don't know when it's going to help them, 
but my gosh, I'm going to give them the best possible chance. And what a powerful thing too. I think many times people that are in our industry, whether they're in coaching or whatever it is in sports, they think about the here and now, and you do need to think about the here and now. But when we think about what our job is in a, in a coaching role, especially as P coaching role, where we're trying to help coaches, athletes, you name it, be able to be their very best in terms of performance. One of the things that I find is that if we do our part to develop trust, become, uh, be genuine and help them understand that this doesn't just transfer from the session we're having to the court or pool or course or field, it, it, it transfers to life. And I think that that's something that a lot of times people think about all the W's or the L's, <laughs> the wins and the losses and not and, and looking at the scoreboard as the indicator of success in this world. The success is when um, you hear someone come to you 20 years later and say, because of you, Coach Rice, or because of you, Dr. Rice, or because of you, Tim, because <laughs> I'm called many different things, that Hey, your impact on my life changed my life for the better. And I thank you for it. And that to me, boy, that's worth more than any kind of money I could ever receive. What are your thoughts? I couldn't echo that any, any more forcefully in the fact that even teaching now with the, the beauties of social media, I'm still friends with my student athletes that I, that I coached 20 years ago. Now they have families, they have children, uh, and they'll post some different things. I'll say congratulations on your new baby. And then they post a picture of their field hockey team that they're coaching. And it's with a little message that I never would have been able to do this without you. And I just chills as I talk about it right now. Uh, and it's just something that, that fills my heart and also fuels my, my passion to continue doing that. Because you know what, Tim, so many people did it for me that that's the best part about it. If I can give somebody that feeling that somebody gave me for 40 years of my life, I just, I can't think of a better way to spend our time. Yeah, amen to that. And last question uh, before we get moving along, what is one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's deciding to start a career in sport, whether that's officiating, coaching, marketing, sales, media, you name it. What, what, what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone starting? Know your why. I, I truly believe that the reasons why we do something, because it's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to be easy. So to get us through those rough patches, it takes grit, it takes determination but if we have a passion and a why as to the motivation we chose to choose that route, we're going to succeed with it. And it's going to get us over that hard, that hard bump. Um, I think another piece is not to be terminology driven, but some emotional agility. I mean, we talk about having physical agility. Like if you're going through an agility ladder, like you have to be light on your toes. Same thing with emotions. We got to be able to roll with it at certain times. 
uh, and on other times take charge and lead, uh, but recognize that there's always room to grow and every once in a while taking a step back and gaining some perspective either from a friend or even um, a person that we don't know very well, but gaining that perspective and having a bit of patience with where we want to go in life. Well, that's great advice. Um, that is a major problem, I think, for many people that are starting in this industry. Uh, they look at the, well, especially on the coaching side, they look at the glitz and glamour. And I've said this in a couple of interviews so far, but you know, I, I remember when I first got my start, all I focused on was putting that suit and tie on and and the crowds and everything. And instead of really focusing on my why, and uh, I would hope that anyone listening uh, that is just getting started, that you really do think about why you're doing what you're doing. It, it, it can't be just about you. And I think that that's the, the, <laughs> the big thing. You know, I look at my role now and you know, my why is to help people that I work with in my role as a doctor of psychology program director to finish their degree, become one of the cream of the crop in all of academia. 4.5% of all Americans have a doctoral degree. That's not an easy thing to do, as you know very well. And there are a lot of pitfalls and challenges. But when you know that the person that's coaching you is there for the right reason, then there's that opportunity to really develop a relationship that really just continues onward. And that's what I want in my life. What about you? You bring up an interesting point that as we go on in our years, I think our, our mission, I have, I have something that I call an MVP plan. So mission, vision, and principles that mission I believe as years go on, tends to be adapted and edited into something that entails being influential and positive and supportive for someone else. I think a, a mission statement by an 18-year-old is going to be going to college to play Division I basketball on a scholarship, and it's very directed into one way that's, um, that's finite. Um, so learning as we go along that and if, geez, if you know, if, if we could write a book on this about how to teach experience, both of us would, would be millionaires, but truly is the <laughs> essence of the words that you have to go through it. You have to have the experience before you can gain the perspective. Um, but I think you and I both would agree that the more that we can share with others, the faster we get to that stage, I think the more rewarding all of our lives are going to end up being that we're working for the betterment of others. Yeah. And, you know, I, one thing I heard the other day, I had a student who defended his final dissertation at Arizona global sport and former psychology student. And he had, uh, he asked me if I, he could have some people join in family members and colleagues uh, on Zoom. And I'm like, well, I've never really been asked that before. And I'm like, sure, why not? And so we had probably about 10 people come on, one of which was Rose Johnston, who you know very well. Um, and uh, yes, the, 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 she's the best editor in the history of editing kind. Um, and then um, we had another, uh, we had a former student, uh, Dr. Angel Brutus, um, on because she was good friends with the student who was defending. And 
and then also Kate, Dr. Kate Hood, who is one of my uh, a student that I chaired, who is now a colleague of mine at Arizona Global. Um, and so I had three different people that I had chaired on the call. Of course, the one that was defending and then the other two. And Dr. Brutus said that you're starting a, an incredible coaching tree. And it, I, I, I choked up as soon as I heard that, I did. And I think that when you think about what you do in this business, what you do in this life, really, you know, we have a relationship that we've had, you know, since you got started at, at the Rockies and, and have gone on to great success in what you do now, but that we can get in touch and we can talk and have a chat today and, and to do those things. And I think that that makes a difference. And uh, so I appreciate you being willing to, to take time out of your busy day uh, to chat with us today. Well, I was happy to block out however long that you wanted, um, because any time to be able to talk with you uh, and to share our thoughts is is time well spent. Thank you. Well, uh, as we, what do you have close? Sorry, it broke up a little bit there. Say again, please. Oh, uh, how, how can you close uh, today's uh, session? Oh, well, you know, Tim, we didn't mention one of my biggest supporters and advocates who amazes me every day with his thoughtfulness and my gosh, proactive thinking. I, I swear sometimes I don't think he's thinking about anything because he needs some downtime, but then he comes up with some amazing idea with regards to me. And you talk about somebody who is selfless and that would be my husband, Mike. Yes. So I yes. do want to say thank you to him uh, because he is truly um, the person in, in this stage of my life that I would never be able to, to live without my biggest supporter. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, I, I always say to uh, people, and I've said this on numerous uh, interviews that, um, you know, that I'm married to the smarter of the two doctors, Rice, my lovely wife, Candy. And, you know, I think that having the support that we have from spouses that that have the same vision that we have, right? It's not just a love, it, it's a vision for what we can become. And, and I think that that's something that I think sometimes is overlooked and it's sad um, that in our industry that there are a lot of people that don't think about their, their relationship with their spouse. And so, boy, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much. Well, I know that you have, you have candy and I have my mic. So we are, are aligned in that realm too, that we give them all the credit in the world for not only putting up with us, um, but also for providing uh, that, that love and advocacy for our professions. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Maggie Tiemann, thank you so very much. It's been so much fun to catch up with you and talk with you about really, you know, your background and, uh, I know everybody gained a ton from it, and um, I appreciate you. Dr. Tim Rice, always a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks. Well, for everyone that's listening, appreciate you listening once again this week. Hope you have a good rest of the week. We'll see you next Monday. Thanks for listening, and until next week, I challenge you to hold a ladder for someone to climb to greater heights than they ever thought possible.